0: For Pastor Paul today, he's on vacation, taking a nice long weekend. Next week, I'm also filling in for him, so you have to put up with me for two weeks. Sorry about that. But he is actually getting a great opportunity to do a um, uh, a ministry down at a church in Lebanon, doing a real tractor pool, not just a garden tractor pool. But he's also speaking down there for their tractor day, uh, so he's getting that privilege. So I get to be with you guys up here for two weeks. Jeremiah 17 five through eight. As I said before, we're going to ask ourselves the question, where do you want to be? Over the last year, uh, I'm sure many of us, this question has gone through our heads. Uh, You know, How did we get where we're at? I mean, it certainly seems crazy. When I reflect on this last year, I certainly think, who has it gone by fast? Uh, My kids have grown up so quickly. So much has been learned and dealt with in this last year. But as we begin this, I want to simply play a game. It's a game that you guys all probably know. How many of you guys have ever played Would You Rather before? Okay. Ariana, thank you. Then you're going to lead this, all right? No, I'm just joking. We play this game with like three, four, five-year-olds because Would You Rather is an awesome game. It's just a great way to find people's perspectives and opinions. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two options. This is our first one, all right? Would you rather... Have steak or ice cream. So if you say steak, raise your hand. Okay. If you say ice cream, raise your hand. Okay. Only choose one now. Okay. I'm gonna hold you to the honest record. Okay. Steak. These are two very different food options. Steak is meaty. It's juicy. Uh, it can be tender. It can be tough, depending on who's grilling the steak. To be fair, um, there's different cuts of it. You can add different toppings to it. Though steak still tends to what? Nourish. It tends to hit that spot, right, and fill you. Ice cream can do very much the same. However, its tendency is sweet, right? It tends to be sweet. It tends to hit that bottomless pit spot that, like, like, in the middle of the night, it's just the only thing that can quench that gap, right, in your stomach. Now, two different things, okay? We all have some different opinions and perspectives on that. How about this one? How many of you guys would rather have a mansion or a cabin? If you say mansion, raise your hand. Okay, see, cabin, raise your hand. okay. The first service, no one for mansion, everyone for cabin. Second service, like two for mansion, everyone else for cabin. You guys still majority cabin. Why a cabin? What draws you to a cabin? Lila? Okay, so not going to lie, a lot of people were thinking in that direction. I don't have the money to maintain that. But think about it this way. With mansions and rooms, you can house a lot of people. You could host things. You could do a lot with it. With a cabin, it tends to be what? More personal, more cozy, more intimate. All right? And so we all have our preferences in there. How about this one? Sorry. <clears throat> would you rather be alone or be with others? Be alone. How many of our introverts are in here? Good. How about be with others? Okay. When I did this with kids, this surprised me because I really thought everyone would go, be with others, there was a handful of kids who said, be alone. You want to know why they said, be alone? They had siblings and they needed to be away from them because siblings annoy them. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But how many of you have ever played hide and go seek by yourself? It's not fun, is it? Yeah, you can't really do that. It's a joke. Okay. hey, there are some things that we just need to do with other people. So community versus, you know, sometimes just to be by ourselves and reflect. Okay. How about this one? How many of you guys would rather live in the desert or in the woods? If you say desert, raise your hand. One. Okay. Woods. Yeah. If you said yes to a cabin, my guess is you thought cabin in the woods. That's where I want to go. How many of you guys thought cabin on a beach? There are cabins on a beach, but okay, yeah. Different perspectives. I end with this question for this game because this is where we're going. Jeremiah seventeen five through 8 is going to paint a picture between these two different places. The desert and the woods. The desert tends to be bare, bare barren, lifeless. It tends to be extreme, too, extreme heat, extreme cold. There's not a lot of flourishing out there. When we look at the woods and when we think of wilderness here in PA, we think of leaves and woods and shrubs and tall grass and and animals and and creeks or cricks, depending on where you're at, you know, right? Uh, We're in PA, so you can hear it both ways there. But the idea is that woods, we think, is life-giving. Jeremiah is actually going to paint a picture today on behalf of God to the people of Israel about these two locations and where we can find ourselves at at times in life. So let's go ahead and read Jeremiah seventeen five through 8 together. Uh, just follow along as I read aloud. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man whose sh- who trust is in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. All right, so let's talk about this real quick. Let's, let me give you a little bit of a context. Jeremiah, of course, is a prophet. Prophets are simply people that God would talk to to carry a message to a specific group of people or person. So sometimes you see prophets interacting with the people of Israel, or sometimes the prophet is interacting with the king. However, these messages usually contained good and bad. In most of Jeremiah's book, unfortunately, they're bad. These are negative things because Israel is starting to wander away from God. If you read the first four verses of chapter 17, what you're going to find out is Israel has turned from God to idols. Their heart is no longer dependent on God. They're dependent on everything else. And God says, okay, unfortunately, because you're doing this, you're disobeying me and there's consequences. And he's very upfront and direct. Here is what's going to happen Israel with you your wealth, your riches, everything you own is going to disappear and it's going to go into other nations. But it doesn't just stop with your possessions. By the way, you too are going to be removed from the land. You're going to go to a land that you don't know and you're going to be made slaves. And so Jeremiah is simply doing this. He's he's warning Israel about their rebellion and what it's leading into and how God's going to now send them out of the land. And as we read that passage, there should be some things that stood out to you about it. The first one is this question that we want to ask. Where have we seen this idea of blessing and cursing before? The answer is, in the Old Testament, in the law, when God created this covenant with the people of Israel, he was very upfront with them. He said, there are some blessings that are going to go with having this relationship with me, and then there are some cursing. Now, don't think of it as like, oh, God blesses them and they curse them. Think about it as this. These are real factual results of what is going to happen if this or this takes place. So blessing. God said, hey, if you cling to me, if you trust in me and I am your God and you follow and serve me wholeheartedly, you will receive blessing. Your land will be taken care of. You'll be at peace with other nations. You won't be fighting. You'll have plenty of rain. Your crops will grow. Your animals will flourish. You as a people will flourish. But... If you leave me, if you go to the idols in the land that I'm sending you into, the idols that the people that you're pushing out worshipped, here are the results of what's going to happen. Your crops are going to fail. You won't be productive. You'll have illness in the land. And if you continue to reject me, I'll remove you from it. So there were some real things that God set up with this relationship in Israel. And Jeremiah is bringing this back into their mind. To recall of what they've already established with God. Because both before Moses and before Joshua, before going into the land, they said, no, we will serve God. And Joshua, love him as a leader, was very blunt. You can't. You want to, you want to, but you just, you don't quite get what this entails yet. But blessing and cursing, this is something that we've already seen. And Jeremiah is recalling it in the minds of Israel. Then this next part. Where have we seen an idea of trees before? Specifically, one line in here should give you, I'm sure you guys memorize these verses here. But the tree, blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. What does that bring us back to? What jumps into your mind there? Should be Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. When you go home this week, I want to I encourage you, take a look at this chapter and then take a look at Psalms 1. And compare these two. It's very interesting what you'll learn. But Jeremiah is calling back a song that these people would be singing in times of joy and celebrations. There is hope, even though that they're about to be sent out of the land and face extreme consequences. Now, let's be blunt. This last year, no one really expected. COVID came out of like nowhere and and, and hit us from the side. Now, we thought lockdown and some of these government rules were really tough. But imagine hearing this. Yeah, not only are you going to lose your homes, your wealth, and everything. Yeah, your family's going to be split up, and you're going to go serve another nation as slaves. Forget freedom in a land. You don't even have a land. You're someone else's. I'm sure Israel, when they hear this, are devastated. And they want to know, what, what, what are we going to do? God gives them an answer in this section, but they don't really take it to heart. That's the problem here. So let's take a look at what Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 simply says. The first thing here, cursed strength. Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah highlights this. He says, cursed is the man whose trust is in man who makes flesh his strength. For Israel, what this was, was simply they were trusting in their money, their wealth, to, to make alliances with other nations or to buy them out of trouble For some of it, it was, no, they could just depend on themselves. We've got this covered. We're okay. We have enough resources. We could take care of ourselves. The other one was that they were making alliances with other nations they really shouldn't have been. Because why? They wanted the military power to say, hey, so-and-so won't interfere with us anymore because we've got so-and-so behind us to back us up. And God makes it very clear here, their hearts are turning and getting further away from God. So God gives them an illustration to stick in their head. He says, if you're going to trust in man, if you're going to trust in yourself, here's exactly what you look like. You look like a desert plant. Some of your translations will say shrub or a juniper tree or things like that. It's okay. He's talking about kind of the same thing in all of this. It's a plant that's not going to flourish in the desert. In fact, you look at the descriptions of what he uses for this plant. Just look at the simple descriptions. It's in the desert. It won't see any good come. It lives in a parched place. And it's in an uninhabited salt land. So what does that look like for Israel? Israel could get this. Looking from Jerusalem, you look to the Judean wilderness and what do you see? Not the wilderness of Pennsylvania. It's not trees and shrubs and green. It's desert. It's rock. It's dust. What you notice in this picture here is there's not a lot of buildings. If you were a king, would you choose to build your palace and your kingdom in the desert? The answer is no. You'd be a foolish king to do that. You build your palace where there's resources to help grow and flourish life in your city and in your kingdom. So for Israel looking out, they're saying, okay, so God, you're telling us we look like a tree out in this wilderness. Not just this wilderness, but in this area here where that fog is at is the Dead Sea. It's also featured here in this picture. What do we know about the Dead Sea? It's mostly salt. It's a super high concentration of salt where there is nothing growing or living in that spot. In fact, Israel starts to kind of, if you go there now, you're going to see that they corner off sections of, of the area because it's pretty dangerous from what the salt has done to the ground and how it's eroded it. Now, God is making it very clear. You trust in yourself. You're going to trust in your own strength. Here's what you look like, a tree. It's not going to see any good come to it. No, no one builds anything in the desert except for Las Vegas. we are. That's really not good. But anyhow, bad joke. Parched places, the rain doesn't hit there. If it does, it's not enough for this thing to survive. It's not what it actually needs. It's just a little drizzle and pfft, gone. And salt is not good for growth. In fact, the Romans would salt and burn land after they were done conquering a city so there wouldn't be growth there anymore. The enemies could not return and rebuild. There are a couple places they did that. Salt's powerful, but it's not powerful for growth. It's a powerful hindrance. And God says when you trust in yourself, and highly specifically to Israel, say when you trust in yourself here, this is what you're looking like. Now, Jeremiah doesn't stop there, and God doesn't stop there. He goes, okay, there's some cursed strength. No, when you trust in yourself, in your own means, your money, your might, your ability, your job, whatever it is, it's doomed for emptiness. You're going to be like that desert plant. You're not going to see anything good come. You're not going to feel connected. You're not going to feel like you're growing. You're certainly not going to feel like you're really living life. It's going to be empty. But then he turns it. And I wish that word, but, was in there, because I think it's a great transition. There's a comparison here. Cursed strength, but then there's blessed trust. Blessed is the man whose trust is in God and whose trust is God. Why is there a slight difference in between these two lines? Because Jeremiah is highlighting there's an action here. They're turning their trust over to God. Then there's a state of being of being in God, abiding in him. Christ said it simply this way, abide in me and I will abide in you. The branch cannot bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine. We need to work at our connections. We need to trust God, but then we also need to remain in God and be dependent upon him for everything. But then notice Jeremiah gives us yet another illustration. This time in comparison with a desert plant, we now get a tree, a tree that's planted by water. So let's just simply ask the question: If we are the tree, what's the water? You you can talk. It's okay. What? Life. Okay. More specifically, in this illustration, Jeremiah is getting at the point that the water is actually God. Your planet by God, right next to him. Because notice what's what's the next thing? It extends its roots out toward the. Water. It knows where it needs to grow and attach itself to. Now, why is that? Now, notice what Jeremiah highlights here about this tree. It's not that this tree is just good and that it doesn't have to face any hardships. Instead, he simply says this it does not fear the heat, but it remains green in it. So notice this tree isn't spared from hardships. And let's be fair, we're in PA next week. Well, this coming week, actually. Summers come in, and we know what that means in PA. Heat and humidity. For a day, that's pretty bearable. We can get through a day with that. You don't see that it impacts trees too much. But notice here, he simply says the heat comes, the tree that's planted by this water, it doesn't even fear the heat and it stays green. It's like it didn't really touch it. But it's not spared from the hardship. It's just it knows where it's getting its nourishment from. But then notice the next line. It's not anxious in what? Drought. Is drought a day? No. That's a much longer period of time. It's a much, much longer period of time. A year of drought. But notice this. It's not that the tree just stays green during this intense, long period of hardship. There's something surprising about it. It stays green, but it also, what, bears fruit. Is that normal for a tree in drought? The answer is absolutely not. Now, notice this. God is telling Jeremiah to give this message to Israel to say, hardship's coming. You're going to have to deal with this stuff. But ultimately, who do you need to depend on in order to thrive in this hard situation? To see really fruit come out of it. And God is pointing to himself, saying, Turn to me in this time, and I will carry you through and make this possible for you, not just to survive day to day, but to thrive throughout it. In fact, I I think some of the greatest examples are some of the characters that we see who go into captivity. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys aren't just just surviving Babylon. They're thriving in it, helping to make positive changes and being positive examples. Now here's the principle that Jeremiah wanted to get across for, for Israel was simply this. They needed to trust in God and it was going to determine where they were going to end up and how they were going to deal with the situations. For us... Jeremiah really wants to highlight this. Who we place our trust in determines not only how we feel about life, and I want to explain that real quick here, but it also determines how we respond to life. Okay? Let's talk about feeling. This last year, you guys probably have had some highs and lows. Things have changed, things have shifted, things have not been clear. I mean, let's just say even going through pastoral transition here at church, that could cause some stress and anxiety and worry. But the fact of the matter is when we get to these moments that, yeah, they're tough, we have to deal with some heat and some drought sometimes. But what God wants us to understand is that we need to stay connected to him and we could do more than just get through that by the skin of our teeth. We can, in fact, thrive in that time and learn, and grow closer to him, and develop our relationship through him. He wants to teach us in these times. And so who we place our trust in determines not only just how we feel about life. Man, is it, is it a drag right now? Do I feel depressed about life? Or are we saying, no, no, I'm making the most of it. Man, God's blessed me with so much, I get to just carry this stuff out. It determines a lot about how we interact with the life around us. Now, let's simply talk about the application. When life gets stressful and tough, the only way to thrive is through Christ. You guys all have to understand that. Jesus made it very clear. You know, the blessing and cursing in the Old Testament, it was kind of physical examples to show Israel, hey, there's some, there's some real reality to this stuff. When Jesus gets on the scene in the New Testament, he highlights, hey, hey, the Old Testament highlighted the physical stuff, but let me make it very clear. There's a much bigger problem that needs to be dealt with, and that's sin. You are separated from God. Your spiritual life is a complete wreck. And yes, you are a tree in that desert if you don't know who God is. But Jesus, and I love his line, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So you're not just going to skid through life and say, Oh God, I'm just making through Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you not only to live life, but be able to live it to its fullest in me. But notice he makes it very clear. I've come to give you life. Christ did this. It's through his work on the cross that we can be reunited in a relationship with God. And then what Ephesians chapter 1 highlights is that we have then access through Christ to every heavenly or spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God doesn't just give us what we need. He gives us access to everything at at his disposal. In fact, it's kind of fun when you look at Isaiah, there's the armor of God and And it's labeled that God has this armor and and their characteristics of him. But in Ephesians chapter 6, it's interesting that armor transfers from God to who? Us. We get to put that stuff on so that we can live life for God fully. When we trust in Christ, we are given access to live life far above and beyond what the world thinks is capable of. But the first thing you have to do is trust in Christ and understand what he's done for you. Why he had to die on the cross for your sins. Why sin separated us from God. Now let's move into to some of the application of how do we live this out Then this life? Or how do we live it out this week? There's a few things I just want to highlight as we get ready to close. The first one is that we need to understand that doing things through people or yourself will lead to emptiness. Why is this important? Because the world is going to try to tell you differently. It's going to say, no, absolutely, you could do this on your own. Or, hey, if you just have enough money, you'll make it. In fact, you can hear that in most music today. Money will fix a lot of your problems, but it can also be a problem, and it's very fleeting. The world's going to tell you. You could do it, you could do it, and you can find joy in doing it yourself. But the problem here is, God made it very clear, you trust in yourself, you trust in man to fix your problems, be prepared for emptiness, for disconnect in your life. You're, you're not going to flourish. The next thing we need to do is though remind ourselves on a daily and regular basis that God not only provides for us, but cares for us. One of the, the habits I've been trying to get into, and I'm not perfect at it, but it's changed a lot of the way I've been thinking, is when I first wake up in the morning, to just pray and give my day over to God, ask him for the attitude I need, ask him for the strength I need, because I know I'm probably in myself not going to be able to do this. It's changed a lot of how I've handled my day. We need those daily reminders because a lot of times we fool ourselves into thinking it's just one day, I can do this, I got this. But God doesn't want you to live just that one day for yourself. He wants all of your life to be lived for him And he wants you to understand he's going to care and provide for you. And it's not just the basics. What I love about Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he highlights, don't be anxious about food or drink or what you're going to wear. The Gentiles, the world is concerned about those things. But when he says, put your mind on the kingdom of God and its righteousness, then he says, all of these things will be then added to you. So it's not that Jesus is, or God's going to just take care of your base needs and that's it, and then he says, well, you've got to do everything else. He says, no, 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 no. I want to take care of your base needs and then prove to you that I can do so much more. And we need to remind ourselves that that's our God. He promises that to us. Then it goes into commit and trust God with everything and in everything. I use this illustration. Uh, we as Christians commit our life to Christ. It's a singular moment when we get saved and we simply accept God's gift of salvation into our life. But yet we don't fully understand it. Just like when I said I do to my wife. We said our vows, but to be honest, I don't know if I fully understood that. Because why? I have not lived with her through sickness and in health, through richer and for poorer. Though to be fair, we were pretty poor to start off with. (laughs) We're going to learn and grow But the thing is, God wants us to continue to turn things over little by little, more and more in our lives. We're going to talk about next week, how do we live the dull bits of our lives, the things that are monotonous, day-to-day tasks that we just do without thinking because they need to get done. How do we live those for the glory of God? How are those even important to God? Why does he care? Because he cares about everything you do. And in all that you do, he wants you to bring him glory. He calls us as Christians for that. And we just think, man, there are just some aspects of our life that God doesn't need. No, no, no. Those two need to be committed. And it's a work. You're going to see things that you didn't see before. Later on in Jeremiah 17, you're going to read just a few verses down. He says, the heart's wicked. It's deceitful. It'll fool you into thinking you're okay. But then later on, Jeremiah also goes and he says, search me, God, and test me. That's not for God's sake. That's for his sake. Because why? He knows that he needs to be exposed by God to the things that he's really not turning over yet. There's things that we need to ask God to show us and reveal to us. The last thing I want you to do is throughout this week, reflect on where you are planted at. Reflect on where you are planted at. How has this last year been for you? How's the last month or the last week or the last 24 hours been for you? Can you say, yes, I have felt connected. I felt like I've flourished. I see myself growing in God, turning more and more things over to him. Or do you find yourself depressed, anxious, and empty because you're trying to handle this life yourself and God doesn't want you to do that? That's why he's given you advantages through Jesus Christ. He says, not only will I provide you a way to fix this sin problem that you have that you can't even help yourself with, I'll deal with that, but I can deal with so much more. He's calling us as Christians to reflect on our life, to see where we're planted. Now, here's the other thing. As a Christian, there's going to be times where we thrive. But expect to face that heat, that drought sometimes. Because God wants to show you where you're placing your trust at. He allows those things, just like the story of Job, to come into your life to show you where exactly does your heart really line up at. So over this next week, think about that. Reflect on that. Read this verse. Read Psalms chapter 1. See the difference between the righteous and the wicked. What their end is in the comparison that God makes, I want to encourage you that you would continue to grow and learn that when life gets stressful and tough, and it will, COVID's a good reminder of that. This pastoral transition is a good reminder of that. Things change, things happen. But ultimately, when things happen, who are we turning to? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I want to start off by thanking you for all that is that you've done for us. For sending salvation and providing this wonderful gift of rescue and forgiveness that we could not do ourselves because we are sinful, arrogant creatures. Lord, I can speak for myself that going through this verse, I know that there's moments in my life where I've trusted myself and I need to ask your forgiveness and repent of those things. And I'm sure there's many of us in here who find ourselves doing that from day to day or time to time. But Lord, I want to pray that you, through your spirit, would just continue to show us and grow us in these areas, to turn them over to you, to trust in you, that you can take care of every single thing that's happening in our life. You want to take care of it, and you want us to come to you in them. Lord, I want to pray that you would just continue to be with us and help us to grow our roots closer and deeper into you as we develop this relationship. And as we come closer to you, help us just to remember who we are, learn more about ourselves and how we need to change more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to pray for all of us in here as a body of believers that we would be these trees that during the heat and the drought, we wouldn't fear, we wouldn't be anxious, our worries wouldn't take over, but that would be an opportunity for us not to survive, but to thrive and bear fruit and show the world that there is such a difference when we trust in you, not only as our Savior, but for everything in our life. God, help us to be those examples that our community, our neighbors, our world deeply needs right now. God, I pray that you allow these things to just sink within our heads, that we would recall these things over this next week and that we would reflect upon them. Help us just to remember that you are there, that you love us. You already know that we're dealing with the, the mis- tr- misplaced trust. And help us to turn from that and to trust in you more each day. God, thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as believers to worship and to study your word. And I pray that we would encourage and challenge one another to grow more deeply in love with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed. I want to wish you guys a wonderful Sunday morning. Go with God.